0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Monday, April 26th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the 93rd Annual Academy Awards. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com. And I am joined on today's episode by SlashFilm managing editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Twy Trenbui.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys. So we're just going to talk about all Oscars today on the podcast. So if you uh, didn't watch and don't care, then maybe skip this episode. But um, Chris actually didn't watch the show, and uh, we'll have some commentary on that very shortly. So before we get into the winners, I just wanted to uh, talk about the differences that uh, sort of took place in this show. Obviously, it's a very different year, uh, and the Oscars sort of reflected that—the the setting, and the format, and the tone. These things were very, very different than these sort of normally stodgy kind of Dolby uh, theater, normal, traditional Oscar vibe that we got. Um, It took place in Union Station in Los Angeles this year, uh, and the format was was much different. Uh, Steven Soderbergh was one of the executive producers, and... um, it, it's sort of like you know he was hyping up beforehand that this was going to, like quote-unquote, feel like a movie. So I wanted to sort of open the floor to you guys and see what you thought about just the general vibe of the show. Do you think it felt like a movie, and um, and what did you think about it? Do you prefer this kind of uh, loosey-goosey style of the Oscars last night to the more traditional, sort of structured version? So if anybody wants to jump in, go for yeah, it. Yeah, I'll jump in. This ruled. Uh, up until the very
2: end, this was... The best Oscar ceremony I've seen in years. There's absolutely no BS in it. It was filmed instead of with traditional you know TV cameras. It was filmed with, with you know, cameras you used to make a movie. So it had 24 frames per second. It looked cinematic. There were, they would stage the nominees so that they'd all be sitting at tables. And a roving cameraman would find the nominees and walk over them as they were announced. Uh, the camera was curious. The staging was interesting. There were people announcing various areas around the room. It was blocked in the way that was appealing. It was you know shot in different aspect ratios. So it had black bars. It was a very it was a really widescreen experience. It genuinely felt like an intimate evening with a bunch of movie stars, as opposed to a big like a variety show. It it genuinely felt like it was there to honor the people, and it had a very intimate, even Soderberghian quality. I'll I'll say. I mean, it really generally felt like one of Soderbergh's hangout movies. I not want them to go back. I do not want the big theaters. I don't want them wasting time with extravagant musical numbers and skits. I want this in the future because this looks this was small and intimate and for movie fans. It's for people who who came interested in the movies and people who made them, not for people looking for spectacle. And I think chasing spectacle has killed the Oscars over the past thirty years. So damn it, this is the future. Am I alone in thinking this?
0: <laughs> well, uh, you may be, Jacob, because the um, I think the numbers have have come in uh, this morning in terms of the ratings, and it's like you know. I think it was something like a 50-plus percentage uh, points off of um, the the viewership from last year. It's like some abysmal number of people watch this. So, uh, you know what,
2: though, Ben? Good, good. Kill <laughs> kill the Oscars is a ratings grab. Just completely kill it. Uh, have it bottom out so hardcore that all they can do in the future is small, intermittent stuff like this. And maybe they even stream online. Don't even, don't even worry about spending money on spectacle. Don't even worry about trying to make it appeal to tens of millions of people. Make it for people who give a shit. Like us.
0: Well, I think you raise an interesting point here because this Oscars more than any other, really felt like it it did not care if you had seen the movies or not. And I think that's because of the lack of clips that they showed. Um, You know, one of the, the sort of hallmarks of the Oscars is they will announce a nominee and then they'll play a clip of... You know, representing the work of that nominee. And that almost never happened in last night's ceremony. There were a few categories, maybe three or four total across the entire event, where they actually showed footage. Um, but there were no big montages, big like, you know, celebrations of movies at large or, or anything like you're saying that, that that would sort of try to um you know pull people in or like make people interested in checking out these movies if they hadn't seen them before um because I think you could make the case that like in previous years if somebody was just channel surfing on the night of the oscars and you know came across the uh I don't know best actress category and saw somebody you know deliver um you know a, a one minute out of context performance they could be interested in that and be like oh that actually seems like something i should check out that performance looks powerful whatever you know whatever the case may be and that the the uh, opportunity for that was just not present last night they made the decision to just wipe these clips out completely i think in favor of longer um, speeches so uh again like open the floor to anybody what, what did you guys think about that decision specifically
3: let them all talk I say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because do, do you think that's sort of true? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, well done. Uh, do you think that's true, even at the um, at the expense of those clips, though? HT.
3: Honestly, I do think that they in, in the traditional format of like the Oscars, they tend to overdo it on the clips sometimes. I missed it a little bit, especially in the performing categories. But I think it was smart of them to keep it lean and um, and fast going. I agree with uh, what. Jacob has said basically about this entire ceremony. I like the intimacy of it. I like the Soderberghian element of the cinematic quality, the sometimes strange camera angles and blocking. There was a couple of moments where I was like, "This is this is." They're definitely trying for something here that doesn't completely work. Like when um, I think Laura Dern was speaking to Daniel Kaluuya, and he's like looking over his shoulder, and it's staged very strangely. But otherwise, I actually really enjoyed this, uh, except for you know a couple of elements which mainly has to do with the order in which the categories were presented because mm. uh that was i think the big misstep of this year's oscars
0: okay that seems like something that we should we should save we'll put a pin in that and get back to that um soon um brad what did you think i haven't heard from you yet uh i know you you sort of like uh, spearheaded the coverage last night for slash com. what did you think about the the vibe of last night's show
1: yeah, it was very cool. Um, you know, Jacob, you know, really said it best uh, right up until the end. I, I appreciated the more intimate setting. I, I don't want them to make this like grand big show of it. You know, there's there's no reason to try and like entertain everybody. And so, like having it something that is geared t- more towards the filmmaking and the passion for storytelling, uh, and giving it this personal touch. You know, I, I really loved how the the presenters, you know, introduced a lot of the nominees with their own opinions and uh, passionate perspectives on their work and. Uh, you know, little things like h- how all of the various people who worked on these projects were connected to each other. You know, they had um, during one, I think it was the it was the costume or the makeup and hairstyle. And they had one of the nominees used to be an intern for one of the other nominees. And they, they dive into all these, you know, little backstories behind all of the, the movies that were made and the people that were nominated. And it just made it a much more interesting affair than trying to watch this formal stuffy show with a bunch of celebrities and you know tuxedos and stuff like that just glad handing each other and everything and, and that can be fun and people you know love seeing celebrities but this this presentation just gave it a little bit more personality it made um it was it was a lot of a lot of fun and so uh you know i think that if they can hone in on you know getting some of the, the more messy details which i'm sure can be worked out you know um in the aftermath of the coronavirus pandemic then i think there's a way you know to do it like this and and make it even better
0: yeah so brad you mentioned the that sort of intimate feel and like introducing the people uh through story instead of these clips and to me like on paper that sounds like a great idea i'm wondering if anybody else had the experience that i had last night which was watching this i uh, those stories kind of went in one ear and out the other because i'm so used to all of the um non-essential speaking parts in the Oscars just being completely meaningless fluff that I can tune out. So like, even though I knew that they were doing it differently this year, I, I couldn't, I had a difficulty retaining the information that was in those anecdotes, and that just may be me. I don't know if, if that spoke to anybody else here. If anybody had that experience, or, or if I'm on an island on that one. Sounds like you prom to me, Ben. Okay. All right, <laughs> I'm, 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 totally... I'm joking. I'm joking.
2: Uh, but I, I will say, Ben, um, once I got on the vibe, and I know what you mean. Like that when the first the first category, I was initially taken back, like, whoa, what's going on? How are they going right into the category now? What? Uh, but the, mo- the more it went on, the more I get used to it, and I'm just. I'm so used to the Academy Awards literally pausing and going cows, cows in movies. Here's a four minute montage about cows in movies for some reason. And there were no cows in movies montages here. And that time was better spent on things that mattered, which was stuff like this. So I guess my question to you, Ben is, uh, do you think, would you, uh, this is a leading question. I apologize. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did did you miss the, the, the the skits and the, and the the fluffy montages (laughs) that didn't have anything to do with any nominees, uh, do you think you prefer like a more ordinary show to this um Um, considering you didn't seem to vibe on it like we did
0: well i uh i think all of all oscars skits should be hurled into the sun i hate them uh i hate all of them (laughs) um You know, uh, ordering pizzas for celebrities and like shooting t-shirt cannons into the crowd or whatever the hell they normally do. I hate all of that stuff, but I am a sucker for the montages. So, um, you know, there's something about
2: nothing to do with the, the show. Even when they like say airplanes in movies.
0: Here you go. Yes, because it's all about other movies. And I love movies, Jacob. That's my thing. I love <laughs> movies. So like, you know, even watching, uh, you know, e- yeah, even if they have nothing to do with the movies that are actually being represented, I think the Oscars, you know, to some people stands as like this, this, um, you know, singular event, this bastion of like what film can be and the celebration of, you know, the entire art form. And, um, you know, if they're showing Older stuff or, or you know, out of context clips. As long as the montage is well edited, I kind of love that stuff. Um, I may be in the minority there, and so I did miss the montages this year. I certainly did not miss the skits. Uh, they did sort of dip into that territory a little bit later on, so I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that um, soon. But um, okay, so in the interest of, of keeping this episode moving along, there are a couple more things that I wanted to, to sort of take your temperature on. All of you, um, the song performances happened during the pre-show did anybody here watch the pre-show and what do you guys think about that decision
1: it definitely made the ceremony breezier um but in i'm like i i usually like the showcase of of you know the best original song nominees but it is something that is a little long-winded you know um it would have been cool if everyone got to see the performance of, of Husevic, which was fantastic. I, I included it in our roundup of video highlights because it was the best one from the bunch. I mean, all the performances were great, but that one in particular was just really uh, wonderful. And so it's, I don't know it, for me, it's uh, I'm fine with them not being there, but I also appreciate them. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, either way is good for me.
0: Okay. Um, HT, I think you mentioned something about the the speeches earlier, and like the, the idea of not playing people off uh, and and cutting people off. So the speeches, oh my god! <laughs> Hello, Sorry,
1: that was my cat's.
0: Oh. <laughs> what?
2: Don't cut this out, Ben. This must be in the show. <laughs> that uh, wow! My
1: my uh, my mom's cat likes to chase my cat, and he's not a fan. <laughs> and she doesn't know how to relent. <laughs>
0: All right. You know what? I am going to leave this in. That that cat sound effect was, um, it felt like it came out of a, a sound effects library. That was it, pretty it, impressive.
1: It, it really did. It, it
2: actually <laughs> totally caught me off guard.
0: Brad's cat has very strong opinions on people being played off of the Oscars, Ben. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I just, getting back to that, I just wanted to know what you guys thought about the idea of, um, I, I've seen, you know, s- several like best and worst uh, moments of the Oscars lists this morning. And many of the, One through line that I saw through all of those was in the worst category that these people are writing about, um, the idea of like these speeches that just ramble on and on and on uh, popped up over and over again. So what did you guys think about that? And do you think that um, it's worth maybe, you know, hearing sort of like, quote unquote, suffering through, you know, three or four longer speeches to get something like, um, Daniel Kaluuya's speech, for example, or like uh, Thomas Venterberg and like the way that it, he sort of took his time getting around to revealing the fact that his daughter was killed during the making of another round. Um, you know, it, are those moments worth the uh, the sort of less um, iconic or, or memorable uh, speeches? What do you guys think about that?
2: Yes, let them let them speak. Let them talk as much as they want. This is their damn moment. And I feel like as long as there's some kind of restriction in place, because clearly the groups were told if pick one person to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that kind of restriction works because I'm not here for, you know, a, a a overpaid an overpaid host to come out and tell jokes. I'm I'm here to to see these people win and share their stories. I you know what? I'm the kind of guy who wants to see a cinematographer go up there and realize, oh, this is my moment to share my art and my love. And I may be a boring guy. My job is to light things on film sets, not to entertain people. Mm-hmm. But that to me there's a magic in that. There's a magic into letting people who don't get that spotlight have that spotlight and don't get played off because they have to get the show running. Um I have always enjoyed good speeches and you're right. The actors tend to give much better ones because they're the ones who are known performers. But mm-hmm. when best sound happens and they go up there and you realize, Oh, these are technicians who, and artists who never get this, they never get this situation. And on a previous Oscars, they would have had one minute, but the orchestra came up right. and it, it went over. And here, to me, as somebody who actually likes movies and does not want does not care about an Oscar show, I found this so pleasurable to, to watch. Uh, HT, I have a feeling you agree with me.
3: You know, I'm actually kind of mixed on this because no, you <laughs> supposed
2: to agree with me, HT. No,
3: I I liked. I think I liked it a lot in concept, and I at first I was like, why are they talking so long? Um, but then we did get gems like Thomas Vinterberg's speech and Daniel Kaluuya's speech where it went off the rails in the whole most hilarious way and we got that uh s- that moment where he talked about his parents having sex <laughs> and <laughs> so that was great um but um yeah I, I I think that like it in concept like it's so sweet and I like to see that these people have the spotlight but um I also personally just like a short and sweet type of speech like I really loved Chloe Zhao's speech because it was I think like two minutes long and she had something that was really nice and short and concise and prepared and i was like ah i still remember that one a lot uh even more so than like some of the ones where people talked for quite a while but i'm glad that they gave them the chance like i think it was a nice gesture more than anything Mm -hmm. um i don't know if i'd want to watch it every year if that makes sense
0: all right, Chris, I want to talk to you uh, for a second. You, I haven't heard from you yet, and that is because you didn't actually watch the Oscars, but you quote-unquote watched it on Twitter. So what was your experience like uh, last night as, as all of this was going down?
4: Yeah, you know, I found that uh, I don't really like award shows, but I, I somehow am able to figure out exactly what's going on in all of them because people just live-tweet every single thing that's happening. And I am addicted to Twitter. I wish I weren't, but so even though I wasn't watching the show, I kept my eye on Twitter and I pretty much knew exactly what was happening when it was happening. And I got to say from the outside looking in, these were the best Oscars ever in in the entire history of the Academy Awards, just because I really loved how confused it left everybody. And just based on reactions, like it was just like, especially that last half of the show, it was just shaking things up and it was, it was anarchy and it was chaos. And I'd much rather have something like that than just the same old boring shit. You know, say what you will about the year where there was that, uh, you know, the La La Land moonlight mix up. That's going to be an Oscar show. People talk about pretty much forever. Whereas, you know, people don't, aren't going to to really talk about the year after that and so on. And mm-hmm. you know, And I feel like that's what's going to happen here. Like, yes, this, this threw a lot of people off and it made some people like furious. I'm not going to name names and to each their own, but I follow some people who are, uh, you know, part of the, the Oscar blogosphere, which they seem like nice people, but I never understand that, (laughs) that subset of film Twitter. And they were like, like, I am heartbroken. This is the worst thing that has ever (laughs) happened. And a part of, I was like, Jesus Christ, calm down. Like, Look, I, I, I don't. I really do not mean to to belittle people who like the Oscars. If you like the Oscars, that's fine. But you have to realize, on some level, that this is all like bullshit. This is all like pageantry. This is literally Hollywood patting its own back. It's it's a bunch of really rich, popular people getting together in a room to celebrate how really rich and popular they are. And yes, in the midst of all that, there is you know a celebration of art and the work, but that's so minimal to what's going on with the Oscars. And for people to be like, ah, this is a, you know, this is the worst thing to happen. I, (laughs) I just, I can't, I can't get on board with that. You know, uh, you know, it, from my point of view, from the outside looking in, Mm -hmm. this was entertaining in a way. Like I, am I happy with how everything played out? Absolutely not. But I have to admit that like watching people react to this in real time gave this year's ceremony, something, you know, special, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I'd want this every year. I don't want chaos every year, mm-hmm. but every once in a while to shake things up, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. I, I, you know, I, even though not all of the pl- the, the plans paid off, I salute Soderbergh and company for, you know, going for it, for being like, all right, we're going to try, something new is, you know, sometimes you, you just have to swing for the fences and I'm, I'm at the very least, I'm glad they tried for that.
0: Yeah. I also appreciate the effort. Um, Brad, let's go to you for a second. And and if you wouldn't mind, maybe, uh, just running through some of the major winners last night. And, uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, indulging me, perhaps you could save best actor for the end, like the, the show itself did and yeah. sort of explain what went down in that, uh, sort of, uh, you Know the, the most, um, I guess the, the moment that had the most people talking for throughout the entire ceremony
1: for sure, for sure. Um, so the uh, the screenplay awards, um, adapted screenplay went to The Father. Um, uh, The Father, you know, had, had a rather impressive showing, um, especially considering it was a movie that was kind of not on everybody's radar until it got nominated for um, you know, a handful of Oscars, and so uh, had quite a good showing. And then uh, Best Original Screenplay went to Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Um, It seems like it was, that was really the only thing that they they could muster up for that one that night. Uh, The supporting actor and actress categories went to Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the black Messiah and and jun Yoon for Minari, uh, which by the way, her speech was absolutely uh, delightful. Um, She had a a wonderful, like little interaction with Brad Pitt. um, And she just gave a very funny, very, you know, charming speech. Um, The, so uh, Best Director went to Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, which also ended up winning Best Picture, which was the third to last award uh, handed out for the evening. And it, it, it kind of, I don't know, it sucked the wind out of the sails because Best Picture is supposed to be, you know, the the big finale. It's like, oh, this is everything that we've been leading to. Mm-hmm. And there was just so much confusion. Everyone's like, wait a minute, what? We're doing Best Picture now and we're ending on Best Actress and Best Actor? And this led everyone to, um, believe, which I don't know, did, did I say Best Picture went to Nomadland? Did I just say that? Yes. Did say that? Did I say it? Yeah, okay. you did. Okay, said it now, even if I didn't. Um, <laughs> so we're, we, um, the, the last two awards, Best Actress and Best Actor, and this had everybody thinking, oh, okay, so if we're not ending with, with Best Picture, they must want to end on Chadwick Boseman winning Best Actor—it's his final performance. He's been cleaning up during this award season, uh, posthumously winning awards for his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Left and Right. Surely, sh- this is exactly what's going to happen. So, Best Actress was given to Frances McDormand for No Medland, uh, a-, a movie you know which earned several awards as well. And so then we get to Best Actor, the final award, and it's not Chadwick Boseman—it's Anthony Hopkins for The Father, and. What sucked the wind out of the sails even more so is Anthony Hopkins wasn't even at the ceremony, not even virtually. They didn't even like allow him to come in on Zoom. He wasn't at like a remote location like the British Film Institute or another screening room somewhere around, like some people appeared on the Oscars. Um, he just wasn't there, and they accepted the award on his behalf. And so we've since heard that apparently his representatives desperately tried to have the Academy allow him to appear Via Zoom because he lives in Wales. He's 83 years old. There's a pandemic going on, and he didn't feel comfortable traveling, so they wouldn't allow it because they were trying to be very strict and not didn't want to have it feel like all the other award ceremonies that had people zoom in. And it's apparently there was also a situation where Olivia Coleman, Anthony Hopkins' co-star in The Father, was slated to accept for him. But I don't know if it's simply because they were short on time after they ran over their allotted window that they wanted to speed things up and they didn't have it have it happen. But obviously this didn't occur. And so the show just kind of ended like like it was a mistake. Like, oh, whoops, sorry, guys. The show was <laughs> over. Joaquin Phoenix
3: just like, ran out of there and Questlove was left to just wrap it up.
2: It doesn't help the Joaquin Phoenix, the most awkward man in existence, a man who's never seemed comfortable uh, with... In any situation, is an entire life the last man you want in charge on stage during a crisis? Just, <laughs> yeah. You get a Kirby enthusiasm theme just piping in in the
1: background. At <laughs> least he could have done was dance on the stairs again or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Brad, what did you think about that? Like, what what were your first thoughts when when they read Anthony Hopkins' name there?
1: It was just like a wow. Okay, so first of all, like that idea goes completely out the window of having this big, you know, celebration and like tribute to Chadwick Boseman and kind of this. I don't know. It, it almost felt like there would be this feeling of unity of celebrating this actor who is no longer with us and gave us this amazing final performance. Um, and it just, I, it almost made it made it feel like even more of a snub than it would have if the award was given out before best picture because it just totally sullied the end of the entire ceremony um and it's a shame because it's it's you know it's a thing where anthony hopkins uh he it's an award he deserves for sure i mean uh so it kind of sucks that he gets caught up in this because the producers of the the academy awards decided to frame it like this and take a gamble on thinking that this would be a big moment to end on and it just ended as a dud so um it just goes to show you too like the producers even though we like to think that like they do certain things as far as like framing the awards and when they hand them out and who's there know what's going on is that they, they don't know who the winners are either. Like they keep mm-hmm. the, the winners, you know, sealed in those envelopes until they are handed out. And so a lot of people have questioned that, but I think that we found out that that is absolutely true this year.
4: And you know, I, I want to point out that the Oscars have actually tried this, this gimmick before, and uh, it just hasn't backfired until now. Um, like when, when Martin Scorsese finally won an Oscar for the departed, Uh, the people who presented him with that Oscar were were Spielberg, George Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola. And they're all friends, and they're all part of the same generation. And basically, everyone was like, we have a pretty good idea that Scorsese is going to win this year. So let's have his friends give him his Oscar. Uh, same thing with Spike Lee when he won for uh, Black Klansman; he won the script for that. They had Samuel L. Jackson, who was you know a good friend of his and has been in his movies, give him that award. And those were all the si- They're all basically the same sort of situation where they didn't know who was going to win, but they had a pretty good idea who was going to win, and they were like, "All right, this will make for good TV." Scorsese's friends giving him an award. Uh, uh, Spike Lee's friend giving him an award, and they sort of. We're trying to do the same thing here where they were like, all right, obviously Chadwick Bozeman is going to win, so let's try it. And it just uh backfired spectacularly. But I do <laughs> want to point out that like, they have tried this before. Um
2: On yeah, the same, same thing- Barbara Streisand for Hurt Locker as well. They put her on the stage hoping it would be a Catherine Bigelow and once right, that worked out.
4: Exactly. So it's like, I guess it's like law of averages, it was bound to backfire sooner or later if they kept <laughs> trying this. And unfortunately, it just happened in the most- spectacular way imaginable Um, I can
3: hear you grinning Chris
4: you're like this is great (laughs) down with the Oscars
2: (laughs) I I burst out laughing HG when it happened I couldn't stop laughing at it's like
4: yeah I I feel like
3: uh,
4: on one level I feel I do feel really bad for Chadwick Boseman's widow because she was there and I'm sure she was thinking the same thing everyone else was thinking like oh they're holding this last because they're going to give him the award and I'm, I'm sure that had to really fucking suck and be crushing when that didn't happen but if you step back from that, you have to admit, in a very dark way, this is very bleakly funny that, that the Oscars had this, this big plan. They were like, all right, we know how this is going to end. And it fucking just blew up in their face. And, you know, from a, in a macabre sort of way, that's funny. Also, while I'm on the subject, I just want to add, I saw a lot of people giving anthony hopkins shit please don't do that <laughs> anthony hopkins is a national treasure and international, international treasure. treasure international treasure <laughs> yes you're right like people and it's one thing to be like oh i'm fine with him winning but some people were like at the very least he could have been there anthony hopkins is 83 years old he doesn't want to get on a plane in the middle of a fucking pandemic cut him some slack that's all i gotta say
2: on yeah i saw somebody tweeting a massive tweet there i'm not gonna say who it was uh but how it was one of the gravest injustices in artistic history. Anthony Hopkins should be ashamed and and, and I return his his statuette to Chow oh, I'm like, fuck I, yeah.
3: yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Come on. Okay. Stop. So um. My big problem with this uh is isn't actually like the whole um blowing up in their faces kind of thing. I think that is kind of funny in a way. It was it made for an entertaining, if anticlimactic, ending to this the ceremony. But my my big problem with the shuffling of the categories to lead up to this supposed big uh, awarding of Chadwick Boseman at the end uh, in a in a play for TV ratings, basically, um, or for good TV, is that it took away from the historic wins that Chloe Zhao and Nomadland got uh, for Best Picture and Best Director. Like, at, traditionally, we would have Best Director and Best Picture uh, right at the end. And mm-hmm. it feels like we almost breezed by those so quickly that we didn't actually get a chance to appreciate how big and how exciting and how historic these wins are Chloe Zhao is the first um, woman of color to win best director first asian woman second woman ever uh nomad land is the first best picture winner to be female led and to have a uh, another a, a director of color uh, directing it so it just it felt like it was almost the night was taken away from nomad land because the Oscars was trying to go for this big TV moment and in the results, Nomadland and Chloe Zhao just kind of got shunted to the side.
2: HG, are you saying it's a lesson here? Is it going after spectacle derailed and otherwise intimate and perfect ceremony? HG, is that what you're saying?
3: Might be what I'm saying.
2: You know,
4: I saw an interesting theory. I wish I could remember who said this, but I saw someone suggest that this, this whole kerfuffle is actually going to help, No Man Land's legacy, because uh, there tends to be this thing where when a movie wins an Oscar, even if it's a really good movie, there sort of becomes like a weird backlash against it. And then people spend like the next 10 years being like, fuck that movie. And that didn't really happen with Moonlight because Moonlight was so wrapped up in that, you know, spectacle where it accidentally went to La La Land and then it went to Moonlight. It sort of made the win even more profound and more important like holy shit moonlight did this amazing thing mm. and it kind of seems like maybe that's going to happen with nomadland too because i you know there, there was already a, a weird sort of backlash against nomadland where people were like the oh discourse. the movie's not Ugh. yeah it's and it's not critical of amazon enough even though that's like not what the, the fucking movie's about i want to get into that but i do feel like if this were a normal oscars like you know, in a month, people would be like, "Fuck no, Madland." But I kind of think its legacy is going to hold on a little bit more now, be just because it's it's so ingrained with this. I don't want to call this this show iconic. What's the other word? Fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> this, this fiasco. That's something I, I do wonder if that's going to happen.
3: That makes me hmm. kind of sad that that's going to be its legacy, though.
4: No, no, no. I'm not saying it's part... I'm just saying it's going to stand out above... It's going to stand above the fray. Like, ah, remember when Nomadland was a big deal on that otherwise goofball show?
0: (laughs) All right. So we've talked a little bit about uh, some of these history-making moments. Um, HT, you mentioned Chloe Zhao. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is now the oldest Oscar winner in any acting category at 83 years old. I think, Chris, you alluded to that earlier. Um, Frances McDormand is now the second person to ever win Best Actress three times, joining Catherine Hepburn, who has four... Uh, Yang Jung Yoon is the first Korean performer to win uh, an Oscar in any acting category, which is pretty amazing. Uh, Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson became the first black woman to win uh, Oscars in the best makeup and hairstyling category for their work on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And then uh, Emerald Fennels win. This is not like, you know... uh, groundbreaking history, but just something that hasn't happened in a long time. Emerald uh, Fennel's win for Best Original Screenplays, the first time that a woman has won in that category since Diablo Cody won for Juno, which was in what Juno came out in like 2007. So that must have been the 2008 Oscars. Um, uh, random moments uh, throughout this movie. We have to talk about the Glenn Close thing um, because, I mean,
3: <laughs> yeah, of course we do. I was so, so happy that there was no weird sketches or bits and then Glenn Close starts I was during this whole thing. I was like, what are they doing to Glenn Close?
0: Yeah. So that, that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, Jacob asked me about the, if I missed the, the montages and the, the uh, skits and sketches and all that kind of stuff. I, I was really enjoying the ceremony until it got to that Oscars trivia segment, which I felt, um, you know, is like too, too lowbrow for the Oscars. Like, you know, it, it's just, it's that kind of, um, you know, pizza order pizza for celebrities kind of you know Ellen DeGeneres level uh like bit that I just don't appreciate seeing at the Oscar ceremony and I was so happy that it hadn't happened up to that point and as soon as the Oscars trivia thing came out mm-hmm. I was like oh no I just have a sinking feeling in my stomach like oh god this is gonna be because it's so clearly staged and it's just it feels um or certain elements of it were so it just feels like what what are we doing here what is the point of this and then the Glenn Close debut thing, you know, Twitter just blew up. Chris, I'm sure you you saw everything as that was happening because, like, everybody was immediately turning it into a huge thing. Um, so I, I just wanted to sort of see what you guys thought about this. I, I found myself in the cynical position of being like, ah, I don't love this as much as I'm sure everybody else does because it just feels a little too calculated to be a moment. I, I appreciated that Glenn Close was like, um, you know, up for doing it and and a good sport about it especially since she didn't win uh you know for <laughs> she's become like i think the one of the most nominated people who has never won an oscar now she's like the most
2: like, losingest acting nominee ever eight yeah nomina- eight nominations uh, zero wins amy adams coming for that record though ben
0: yeah yeah so well jacob let's go let's go to you what did you think about that whole uh oscars trivia segment and then the uh the debut scenario
2: funny conceptually uh, a disaster in terms of pacing um i liked that there were no skits at all until this i think they should have cut this one as well because the show is moving really well if they cut this the show would have been like right on time with the ending as promised i understand what they're going for here but the fact is that up until glenn close everybody involved was so clearly scripted and so clearly staged that it was awkward and painful to get through the only person who brought anything fun to the bit was Glenn Close at the very, very end. So, you know, just kill all Oscar bits. Kill them all, and we'll all be happier.
1: Yeah, there was – It's. I think what even made it even worse is that there were no other bits except for this one. And so mm-hmm. it just came out of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay, so we're slowing the show down for no reason whatsoever. And then what made it even more frustrating was that it felt like the In Memoriam segment that immediately followed this like they sped up the montage by like one and a half times. Like they're trying to get through a podcast because the, for the first 30 seconds, the names are going at a decent pace. And then all of a sudden it's like they hit fast forward and each person barely got a full second for you to like recognize who it is to where like if you weren't entirely sure because you didn't recognize them immediately that you didn't really get a chance to register who it was, like why they were famous or anything like that. And it, it almost felt like they felt they needed to speed it up because they wasted so much time for that little little bit as, And as, as fun as it was for Glenn Close to, to sell it and make it feel you know genuine, it just was way too much of a weird goofy aside for what the rest of the ceremony was.
0: Yeah, I think I read something that they had um they had pre-edited that and and decided to make that bad decision to to have the speedy in memoriam thing before uh they had that like locked and loaded and ready to go so that wasn't quite an on the fly decision but yes the, your point still stands which is like you know it was I, uh, practically impossible to read a person's name and then even have time to look over and see their picture before the slide changed to the next thing for a majority of the the people who were listed there. Not to mention the fact that like Jessica Walter didn't even get, you know, <laughs> didn't uh, appear in the, the in memoriam video. So um, yeah, I think a lot of people had some serious problems with the way that that was sort of doled out. So uh, they that's should have,
4: they should have stopped the show and then Eddie Redmayne in character from trial of the Chicago <laughs> seven could have stood up and read all the names from the list.
0: Oh my God. Well, uh, that was one of the other, I guess I I wrote a section on the doc for, um, for us to talk about big takeaways from this Oscars. And the only thing that I could come up with was even during a pandemic year, Netflix couldn't win best picture. So like they are clearly Netflix has been throwing so much money at the Oscars, um, at movies to, to Specifically win best picture, and uh even in this weird year where you know they had two decent chances with Mank and trial Chicago seven. They couldn't pull it off, so uh, I Black, guess Black
3: Bottom got a bunch of wins, and like the technical, yeah. The actually,
1: I think I read memories. that Netflix actually came away with the most wins of any studio. Uh,
3: I
0: think that's yeah, right. I mean, yes, I know that is factually correct, but I think Netflix themselves or Ted Sarandos or whoever you know, th- whoever it is, the, the leadership at Netflix is not going to be, um, you know, th- their <laughs> their thirst is not going to be quenched until they win Best Picture specifically. Yeah, they, they want yeah.
4: those big yeah. war, they want like actor and director yeah, and all that yeah. stuff,
2: but you know yeah. what, if, if if it takes. Takes a sacrificing Mank, a movie I like, to keep Trial Trial, Trial of Chicago
0: 7 from winning a major award. I'll sacrifice a thousand Manks. (laughs) Um, All right. So one other moment that I wanted to highlight was a moment that really took me by surprise. And I had no idea the context of this moment, which is uh, Francis McDormand uh, howling like a wolf on the stage.
3: Francis Um, McDormand, wolf walker. Yeah,
0: uh, I just sort of took that as like, oh, that's a weird thing. I guess that seems in line with what Francis McDormand would do, so I just sort of took it at face value. But uh, this morning, right before we started recording, I actually learned that that was like a tribute uh, from Francis McDormand to uh, um, Michael Wolf, Michael quote unquote Wolf, his nickname was Wolf Snyder, who was the um, the sound mixer, uh, the production sound mixer for. Nomadland and he was I think 35 years old and he died by suicide in the beginning of March so that was like a tribute to this guy that she had worked closely with on on this movie and that entire you know Nomadland family uh, lost somebody very close to them earlier this year so um, that was a uh, you know with with that context it completely changes you know from just like oh wow it's that's uh, old Franny McDee being Franny Mcdee to like this sort of touching moment. Um, I wish I would have had that context during the actual broadcast and wouldn't have to look that up later. But I don't know how they would have gone about doing that without it being, you know, maybe overly saccharine or um, or just like uh, maybe inappropriate <laughs> to bring that up in some way. So uh, I don't know. Higher,
2: like. The audaciousness of that. Of Frances McDormand, a woman who don't give a shit. She just doesn't care what you think about her. She 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 shows up dressed for comfort. She s- speaks her mind in her acceptance speeches. She doesn't feel like she's putting on an act. me, McDormand is not the kind of person who's going to you know place a tribute to somebody she cared about uh, inside a soundbite. She came out and did it because she cared because people who knew would, would care and she just didn't care who else didn't do it. And I admire the hell out of a woman who's had success that she's had, winning her third you know, acting Oscar to just be that audacious. I think she is uh, the ruler of the planet Earth as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, she's great. How many Oscars um, must be
3: at Francis McDormand and oh, which Cohen is she married to? Uh, uh, Joel. Joel Cohen's house now.
2: Ooh, yeah. Did I you know, know Joel Cohen having his phone out filming his wife's entire acceptance speech?
3: Oh, that's Oh, so I didn't
2: see that. That's cool. The cameraman went, found Joel Cohen and went behind his for an over the shoulder of him filming her. It was great. <laughs>
0: um all right so any other random moments from the ceremony uh well
3: speaking of people who didn't care to be there and who never cares to be anywhere really i i really enjoyed the moment where harrison ford stepped forward to present editing and just read from the script notes from blade runner and was just did not <laughs> gave that vibe that he always gives of me like i don't want to be here at all and that was always refreshing to see More Uh, like
2: Indiana Stone. (laughs) He he, he clearly just lit one up right before that. Right
1: before. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say, uh, I I love that moment because it was very funny and very Harrison Ford, but it also made me sad for Indiana Jones 5 because Mm -hmm. he feels like he is old, um, because he is. And I'm just very worried about what it's going to be like to see him doing a fifth Indiana Jones movie in the state. I know he's in, in good shape for his age and everything, but it just made me feel a little bit worried about it.
0: Yeah. I had the same feeling. You're not alone there. So, all right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily. Um, Jacob, it sounds like you would want this kind of show to be more of the norm going forward. Do you have any real quick before we go, any sort of like, uh, recommendations for how they might be able to incorporate any of these ideas, any of these format changes in with a quote unquote normal show next year? I mean, if you go back
2: to the, the big theater and they already said they were, they said it during the ceremony, Brian Cranston came out and a tour of the empty theater to say they were Uh, film like they did here, have the roving camera, have the 24 frames per second like leave the TV-ness of it behind and really get to the bottom of, of why these matter and cut the skits, cut the musical numbers, cut the montages, just make it a show for the people who care. And like I said, don't put it on abc anymore don't worry about trying to make a ratings thing stream it and the people who want to watch it will watch it i mean i think trying to turn the oscars into something that makes money is what's killing the oscars as a show um this was great i don't care if people didn't watch it screw them
0: one thing that i i uh didn't even realize until right now is that they didn't mention the uh, Academy Museum, which I'm shocked by because they, uh, for the past several years, it feels like they've mentioned that and shown footage of like the museum under construction and all that, all that stuff. And it's actually like completed now and is going to be opening very soon. So I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't like, I this believe is
1: the... some of the, um, if some um, of the performances of the uh, best original songs uh, happened at the Academy Museum.
0: Okay, all right, that makes sense then. So maybe they talked about that in the pre-show, which I did not watch. So uh, okay. All right. Well, there's my my curiosity satisfied. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's going to bring us to the the end for real of this uh, episode of the show. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at Make sure to leave your name and gen- general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow